Good morning. It is such a pleasure and a joy to be fellowshipping together, isn't it? And to hear the powerful word of God and what is happening around the world. We welcome you if you are new or newer here this morning. We have a welcome area in the, in the foyer that we would love to have you stop by. Fill out a card. Let us know you're here. Let us be able to stay in touch with you. And there's also the best way for us to stay connected is follow us on social media. Um, we share a lot of what's happening and what will happening, what has happened through the different mediums. So please take advantage of that. We also are so grateful, and Adam said it so well, to be able to gather together in the storehouse that which God has given us and return a portion to him. There are several ways that you can give, and you, and you probably know this, but um, feel free to use online selecting um, New Life Downtown. We do have an offering um, container uh, that you can drop check or cash, if you still carry that, as, we, um, as you exit. And we are so grateful to be able to pause now and invite the Holy Spirit into the reading of the Word of God. So if we'll just quiet our hearts at this time. The Old Testament reading this morning is found in 1 Samuel 16, 5 through 7. Yes, Samuel answered, I've come to make a sacrifice to the Lord. Now make yourselves holy, then come with me to the sacrifice. Samuel made Jesse and his sons holy and then invited them in to sacrifice as well. When they arrived, Samuel looked at Eliab and thought, this must be the Lord's anointed right here in front of me. But the Lord said to Samuel, have no regard for his appearance or stature because I haven't selected him. God doesn't look at things like humans do. Humans see only what is visible to the eyes, but the Lord sees into the heart the word of the Lord. Hello, my name is Kay. The New Testament reading is found in 1 Timothy three fourteen through 16. I hope to come to you quickly, but I'm writing these things to you so that if I'm delayed, you'll know how you should behave in God's household. It is the church of the living God and the backbone and support of the truth. Without question, the mystery of godliness is great. He was revealed as a human, declared righteous by the Spirit, seen by the angels, preached throughout the nations, believed in around the world, and taken up in glory. The word of the Lord. Hello, my name is Tracy. If you're able to stand, please stand for the gospel reading found in John chapter 14, verses 6 through 7. Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. 
if you have really known me, you will also know the Father. From now on, you will know him and have seen him. The Gospel of the Lord. Would you remain standing another moment as I pray? Father God, thank you for this time and this space to come before you, to, to, to look into your word, to seek you. And we pray as your promise has been that we will seek you and find you and we seek you with all of our hearts, God. Let you be found in this place in truth and in grace and mercy and kindness and strength. Strengthen us today, we pray, through your word, to your glory, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may take your seats. Good morning, good morning, New Life Downtown. My name is Evan Riedahl. If you don't know me, I'm a pastor here with New Life Downtown, have been for a while. I get to specifically oversee marriage and family ministries. And today we are continuing our series in the book of First Timothy, which is a letter that Paul wrote to Timothy concerning the ongoings in the church of Ephesus. Timothy was sent to Ephesus to help their team. Um, pastor Jason has done a masterful job, in my opinion, for the last couple of months. Thank you for that. And the last couple of weeks in Timothy too. Uh, and talking through how the motivation behind Paul writing to Timothy is to instruct him as a leader in Ephesus because the Ephesian church is being misled by certain people. And so he's addressing this misleading and addressing the false teachings that are going on there and the practices that those are bringing forth, specifically in relation to uh, the cult of Artemis and the culture that's happening and the way that people are coming into the church, but then bringing their, their Artemis worship or their secular notions and multiplying that within the church of God. And he's saying, Timothy, you need to go because this isn't what God has for his church. This isn't who God is. He's not being represented well. So today we're going to look at chapter three and we're going to talk about about leadership. Yeah. And in leadership, Paul moves from addressing false teachers to the calling of true leaders in the church because leadership matters. Paul could take all of this time and, and talk about, take out this teaching, take out this practice, take out, take out, take out. And it's like my, my garden, you know, I could weed all day. And what's going to happen to that weed if I don't do something else about it? It's going to come right back. I mean, we're in Colorado, so we're growing grass in the desert anyways, y'all. But, but we're trying our best. But if we weed and all we do is remove that which we don't want without going to the next step and saying, okay, now I need to fertilize some, now I need to set, spread some seed, now I need to aerate, now I need to water, now I need to invest in and build up the strength of this lawn, then those weeds will continue to come back and come back. So it's this balance that, yeah, we're, we're weeding out false teaching, but we also, Paul moves towards, and we need true leaders in the church. We need true leaders that reflect God and carry godliness and act according to God's ways in the church because otherwise that false teaching will just keep coming back and coming back and coming back and coming back. But I need you all to lead in truth. And Jason said it a few weeks ago, and I thought that this was a really interesting comment when he, when he said, I don't know if any of you caught it, just the American culture has an obsession with leadership. And I don't know if anybody's ever called that out besides and, and, and at least in the world that, in which I live, and a lot of it in pastoral world and being like, oh, I want, it. I, I want to be a good leader. So I'm going to listen to that podcast and I'm going to look at that meme and I'm going to look up that article and I'm going to do all of my research and, and continue to invest in becoming a good leader. But at what point does it actually, like Jason commented, turn into an obsession about this good leadership thing and a good thing becoming a bad thing? And I, and I know in, in this room... 
in, even in the midst of the session, are we, are we obsessing too much? The reality is we have experiences of leadership in this room. And I wanna, I wanna start with asking your permission to hold some space with you right now and discussing leadership and specifically leadership in the church. Because you in yourself and in your story hold certain experiences with different leaders at different levels at different time within the church. And some of them have produced wonderful, beautiful things. And some of them have produced a lot of pain or a lot of frustration or a lot of anger or a lot of, I just said the idea of leadership in the church and you want to just clench your teeth and you're clenching your fists and you could real punch someone right now, or you could just start crying. But I'd love if we could for a moment look at Paul and how he's instructing leaders in the church and Ephesus through Timothy and the way he's investing in that community. If you would hold with me some space to talk about leadership and, and maybe more specifically how God is instructing leaders and then what we can glean from that. I, I know for me personally, my first church job uh, was back in Portland, Oregon. Uh, I, I usually say Portland before it went super crazy, like off the cliff crazy, if you know what I mean. Back then it was just weird crazy. It was just like guy on a unicycle wearing a kilt, playing the bagpipes with the Darth Vader mask with flames coming out the top of it. Like that, it was just, it was only that, you know? Like, that's all it was. And I was in Portland and I got a first, my first, uh, my first job in the church was as a youth pastor. It's where um, I was entrusted with a post and it was beautiful and I loved the kids and I liked the parents and everything else was hard. Um, I don't know if you've been in those environments, but that's what it was for me. And, and in that space, the, when I started, the youth pastor and the senior pastor were father and son. And I started because they both left in the same month and I got hired on. And so there was a void of true leaders in that time and in that space. And so I'm green, I'm 23 years old, everything I'm facing, I'm facing for the first time. And it, it, would, it would have been nice to have a leader in that space that could see me and care for me that could lead me in godliness, that could encourage me, that could speak some truth into my life. But it really just was every person for themselves. And on top of that, it was 2009, so the, the economy was in the tank. And at the end of the summer, they actually, the, the two people who were there on staff still, so there was only three of us. <laughs> and at the end of the summer, they had this celebration and I was the odd man out, because I'm like, I don't, I don't know what we're celebrating right now. And they're like, well, we didn't know if we'd be open at the end of the summer. <laughs> you just hired me, it would have been nice to know that too. Like, Oh man, and, and it, that, that leadership, that was hard for me because I was in a spot of leadership in the church, but I was also in a church where there was a void of leadership. And I don't think I was necessarily being abused, but I was definitely being neglected in that time. And, and so being raised in that time as my first encounter, I looked to a lot of people for help. I, I looked to my dad, I looked to other mentors. There was an elder couple that was part of the church and I looked to them and said, you just need, please help me, please help me do this well. And, and I went from that job and my next job, I guess you could say in ministry was with Adventures and Odyssey. Adventures and Odyssey, y'all? Yeah, right, okay. <laughs> and my, my boss was a guy named Dave Arnold and he is one of the strongest, kindest, gentlest men that I know as a leader. And I w we had cubes because cubicle land is a party. And, and I sat right next to his cube. And so we could hear everything that was going on on each other's cubes. And the way that I got to just even be in proximity to his leadership was healing for my heart. 
Because the neglect in one space of leadership created all of this angst and anxiety and hardship and strain on me. But the, the presence of good leadership actually, even if it wasn't direct, which he, he led me well directly, but even just the proximity of it led to so much grace and healing and growth. And that's what good leaders can do. And that's why Paul's super interested in 1 Timothy and not just saying, I'm gonna address all of your false teaching, but I also want to address good leadership and good leaders because I'm calling them up and I'm calling them out to a standard of godliness that is necessary for the gospel to grow and to flourish and even to stand. And, and he points this out at the end of this chapter because he addresses overseers and he addresses servants in the house, deacons, and then he gets to the end of it. And if you have your Bible, just open it up to 1 Timothy 3. If you have a physical Bible, five bonus points to you and Gryffindor. But 1 Timothy 3, at the end, 14. So he's summarizing, he's going through these first three chapters and talking about the false teachers and the ways that they're acting in the church and how to, you need to stop this and start this. And he's getting into leadership in chapter three here. And he ends this section by saying this, I hope to come to you quickly, but I'm writing these things to you so that if I'm delayed, you'll know how you should behave in God's household. Because it is the church of the living God and the backbone and support of the truth. Why is this critical that we talk about leadership and that we get leadership right in the church? Because this church that we're part of is the church of the living God and we are representing the living God in in the church to one another and to the world. And it is then the backbone of truth that this idea of the truth of God and the gospel coming to us is held up. It is strengthened and supported by the way that we get leadership right and the way that the household acts. Leadership is critical, y'all. It is critical. And so that's what I wanna talk about today. To accomplish the mission of the church outlined here in 1 Timothy, Paul is calling out leaders to call up their works and their character to be in line with the character and work of Jesus. He's calling out leaders in their work and what they're doing and how they're going about and what they're, they're being expected to do and behave like and the character with which they carry their leadership. And we're gonna see this in a number of the verses here in chapter three. This is what overall he is addressing to come in line with the character and work of Jesus. And it matters because the church and the leaders in the church are the representatives of Christ to one another and the leaders thereof. So Paul, for Paul, his concern for the church leadership is first this, how we lead represents God in the work. His concern for church leadership is that how we lead is to represent God in work. This is what we do. First Timothy three, so the church's supervisor must be without fault. This is starting verse three. They should be faithful to their spouse, sober, modest, honest. They should show hospitality, be skilled at teaching. They shouldn't be addicted to alcohol or a bully. Don't be a bully, y'all. Instead, they should be gentle, peaceable, not greedy. They should manage their own household well. They should see that their children are obedient with complete respect because if they don't know how to manage their household, how can they take care of God's church? And he's calling up their actions and we're gonna, we're gonna separate categorically really what he's calling. And it's, it is the work that they're doing, how they're going about their work. That's the idea of like, be hospitable, don't be a bully. Great standard, right? And he's talking about their character. So first we're talking about the work, how to lead people and represent God in the work that we're doing. And it is when, in, in, in our excellence of our work, that when we get this right, then the work itself shows a standard and an excellence of God's work in the world right? 
So, so God in his creation, God in his sustaining work, God in his ongoing work, God in his redeeming work, as we are working in the church, we should reflect that work in excellence and what we do and how we do it. And this is why he's calling out things like hospitality. Because when we are hospitable in our action, then it reflects that God is hospitable in his nature. That the work of God of hospitality to even host us, and this is the person of Jesus as an example of all of this, that when Jesus shows up, he's constantly found eating with people. And I love this, to the point where they call him a drunk and a glutton, right? Like, like man, he's so often doing this, but he himself is the exact image, the imprint of God the Father. So what he's doing is what the father is doing. What the father is doing is inviting us in and hosting us. So then as we as leaders, Paul is calling us up and saying, you be hospitable because Jesus is hospitable because God is hospitable. And when they see your hospitality, they'll know what God is like. And they'll receive and interact with the grace of God through you and the work that you're doing. I think this is also true in all the verses where he's talking about things like, don't be a bully. I mean, to me, that's such a silly statement of like, dear Timothy, be hospitable. Don't be a jerk. <laughs> yes. And again, though, how often do we get into leadership environments where for the sake of the goal, we're plowing over people and we're forgetting, we're forgetting the wake that we send. And I, I've experienced this so many times in leadership that there's a goal that's out there and to push towards it, we're actually leaving a whole wake of people because we're plowing them over or we're forgetting about them or we're stopping to take the moment to go, okay, this is what I'm trying to do, but are, how are you today? Are you okay? Do I need to be more tender? And I, we have in, in, our, in our counseling that we do with New Life Downtown and, and in the way that we teach and train mentors, I have this notion where when we put a task on someone, when we're calling, as leaders, when we're calling someone to say, lead them to growth, lead them to multiplication, lead them to these good and great things, but they're actually in a spot of unhealth. Our goal, our, our bullying them towards that goal might be the, the straw that breaks the camel's back. And it, it is the most ungracious thing we could do in that moment. And so we really need to discern as leaders, are we leading this person and ministering to them at a place where they're, they're, they're strained or they're, they're hurting or there, there's some weakness in life going on, there's just a lot going on, and we actually need to be ministering them into health, and that's our first goal? Or are they at a healthy point? And then we can minister into growth, and we can push towards goals and stuff like that. But there's an art of leadership that says, well, we could just go towards this, but if we miss the people in the midst of leading them, and we end up breaking them, I think this is what Paul's addressing when he's saying, don't be a bully. He's saying, you need to be gentle and kind and you need to represent the way that God interacts with us because he's not gonna put an undue burden that's gonna break us. He's gonna, be, he's gonna interact with who we are and where we're at. He's gonna say, now let me lead you from that place. I'm gonna find you if you're at the well, if you're casting your nets, if you're wherever you're at, I'm gonna find you. I'm gonna interact with you where you're at instead of just plowing forth a goal, leaving this wake and being a bully in that. In the same, in the same t context too, he talks, I, I wanna address a couple of uh, potentially problematic verses in this space. One is the husband of one wife, as some translations translate it. Another, the, if you look at it in the Greek, another way of reading it is a, a one woman man. 
And I wanna address this because it's a really interesting translation. Paul, this whole letter is an interesting translation in a lot of ways because it's very unique in who he's writing to and how he's writing it. But that we can either look at this and say, well, leadership in the church needs to be somebody who is married. It's a male who is married. And I think if we do that, we miss the whole idea that we are imaging Christ in our leadership. And that maybe, a, 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 we can pin that, so put that up there, put a, put a pin in it. And maybe another way of reading it if we are really imaging Christ in our leadership, is that to say in that context, in that age, that men could have multiple wives. And so he's not addressing women here who couldn't have more than one husband. He's addressing men who could have more than one wife. And he's saying, actually, if you are married, if you are married, because otherwise this whole requirement of leadership, Timothy wouldn't actually meet it. And Paul wouldn't actually meet it because they're unmarried. Oh, and Jesus himself wouldn't actually meet it. So uh, I, I think there's a hard spot we find ourselves in if we, if we interpret it towards that, where they have to be married to a, a, a woman. Because it, if Jesus can't meet the requirements of leadership in the New Testament, then maybe we're not interpreting that correctly. Let, let me just put that in the pot. You guys, you guys can stir it, or I'll put it in your pipe and you can smoke it later, whatever you want. But let me just throw that out there. Because I think what Paul is, is more so trying to do in saying a one woman man is to exemplify and reflect the fidelity of Christ to his church. To say, you could have multiple wives, but in being image bearers and image carriers and leaders and representatives of God in his church, the church of the living God, that you being married to one woman actually reflects the faithfulness and fidelity of Christ to his church singularly. And so it's a higher calling that Paul's getting to when he says that. And it's not totally dissimilar to when he's talking about, and he, he says it in both sections in chapter three, when he's talking to these, this idea of overseas and this over, idea of deacons, the management of your own household. That, that when we're saying a one woman man reflects the fidelity and faithfulness of Christ to his church, it's not totally out of the same context of what Paul is saying. And, and you manage your own household well so that it mirrors and it parallels the way that you will then be able to manage the church, which is God's household. So leadership of the church is reflected in our leadership within our households. Husbands and wives leading the household. Leadership of the church reflects the fidelity of Christ. A one woman, one woman, man, singularity in our marriages. So what we do, Paul, his concern for church leadership is how we lead that it would represent God in work and that how we lead would represent God in character. Not just what we do, but how we do it. In 1 Timothy, the language is wrought with these words. 1 Timothy 3, verse three, gentle and peaceable. Verse four, respectful. Verse four and eight, not greedy. Verse two, 11 and 12 of chapter three, faithful. Verses eight and 11, dignified. That he is saying, I'm looking not just in your outward actions, do they align with godliness and God's image and reflecting him in the way that you're leading the church, but I'm also aligning it with your heart. And this was our Old Testament reading. This is Samuel going and looking for the next king and saying, there must be this one. And God's saying, no, no, no. Don't look at the outward appearance. I'm looking at the heart of the matter. And that this is the imago represented in us. That it's, it's, it's this idea that God creates everything and then chooses to remain invisible except by reflection. So that if we want to know what God is like, he entrusts it to nature in one way. Paul talks about that in Romans 1. And he entrusts it to us. 
so that in what we do and in how we do it, the very character that we represent God with is how each other and the world will know what God is like. Our leadership is imperative that we're reflecting God clearly. Um, and that, I, w- I wanna give a little, a little plug for this because I could challenge you to this and say, this, guy, this is what we need to do. We need to, we need to grow up. Paul's calling us to, to, to these standards within the church. And, and then I don't wanna leave you with, and how do we go about doing that? I'm, I'm gonna land this sermon on that, but I also wanna invite you, we've been doing this thing for a couple of years here at New Life Downtown called Mentor Discipleship. Recognizing that discipleship is all the ways that we follow Christ and grow to be like Christ. And there's a very specific calling to be mentored by somebody, somebody further along, somebody wiser, somebody more experienced that could help us be formed by the spirit into Christ's likeness even more. And so in two, two weeks, two Saturdays from now, September 12th, I'm gonna lead our next session of training at that. It's gonna be at the Commons from 9 a.m. to noon. And it's just gonna give you the practical skills to say, God, I, I do wanna be a leader in the church. How do I go about doing that? How do I go about Christ in me being formed and we're gonna talk about those things. So you can talk to Blake out in the Discipleship Pathways right after here and sign up and it'll be in, you'll see the email links and stuff go out after this. So we are called, Paul and his concern for the church is how we lead to represent God in work, how we lead to represent God in character. And that discipleship, it, it lands here and this is where I'm gonna end us, is leading people in the way of Jesus with the character of Jesus to the person of Jesus. That our leadership in the, in the church is leading in the way of Jesus, doing what he does with the character of Jesus, how he did it. So if we see a church leadership where somebody's being a bully and know that in Christ, his gentleness, his kindness, his meekness is actually the character attributes of who God is, then we can say, okay, something's off. We have some more growth work to do here. But ultimately, the question lands us to where are we leading people? Church leadership or any of us, where are we leading people as disciples? And, and I think sometimes in the world, we get, we get really into statistics and we get really into the end goal and productivity and quantifiable numbers and up and, and to the right. We, we get really into show me the kingdom building work. Show me, that's where we're going. We're building the kingdom. I think where we get it wrong as leaders is when we, when we detach from the person of Jesus to build his kingdom without him. And instead of leading people to the person of Jesus, we end up leading them to the kingdom that is at that point without Jesus because we didn't lead, him, lead people to Jesus himself. For the church, where we're leading people is not actually a where, it's a who. It's a who are we leading them to, and then he will lead us into all of those works of the kingdom. Paul, again, and this is at the end of 1 Timothy. This is our New Testament reading we've said already. It is the church of the living God and the backbone and support of the truth. Without question, this mystery of godliness is great. He was revealed as a human, declared righteous by the Spirit, seen by the angels, preached through the nations, believed in around the world, and taken up in glory. Paul starts talking about the truth, the support of the truth and the mystery of godliness, and then he starts describing the person of Jesus. I love the way that John, the Gospel of John, makes this revelation plain to us. 
And this was our New Testament reading, or our gospel reading today. John 14, verse six. Jesus answered, I am the way. What is the way? It's a person, and it's seen in the person of Jesus. I am the way, and I am the truth. What is the truth? I think so often we go, well, the, the truth is the facts, it's the details, it's the, it's the scientific research, it's the actualities that we can test and prove, it's the post-enlightenment, we have to be able to test it and prove it and crunch the numbers, and it's a fact, it's an idea or a thought or a fact, and Jesus is saying, okay, but all things that are true are actually encompassed in who I am. Who, who, where are we leading people? It's not a where, it's a who. Who are we leading people to? It's not an idea, it's the truth. It's the person of Jesus himself. If you really know me, no one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will also know the Father. From now on, you know him because you have seen me. And that this is our call as leaders. This is our call as leaders in the church. And, and I also wanna say too, that I could talk about leadership this whole time and, be, and you can maybe sit there and be like, well, I'm not a leader in the church. One, I want you to hold us to the standard of Jesus that Paul expounds here. I want that to be the standard that we hold anybody in a, in a leadership position who is a leader. And two, I don't think that Paul is excusing everybody else. It, it's not like he says, this is for the leaders, but the rest of y'all can get drunk, right? Like, do not get drunk. He says it twice, y'all. <laughs> it's, it's, it's in the overseers, it's in the deacons. It's not like, yeah, yeah, and you, you can just do whatever you want. Or yeah, the husband of but one wife, but the rest of you, you can have two wives, that's fine. That's, no, he's saying, this is the standard of leadership because the leaders are the lead of this imago. The idea that we are being held to a standard that then all the church is supposed to be following because we, where are we leading you all to? Where are we going every Sunday? prayerfully, mercifully, it's not to ourselves. It's right back to this table in the person of Jesus. <laughs> if our leadership doesn't lead to Jesus, we're missing, the, we're missing the whole point because no longer is our leadership than being the exemplified followers of Jesus, us ourselves as disciples. It's saying our leadership is the best of my giftings, the best of my personality, the best of my character. And what you'll end with is that taste in your mouth of I just got led to themselves. I got led to that person instead of to the God who that person is supposed to be leading me to. So we, I wanna invite up the band now and Jason to come. This is why we come to the table every week. So that our leadership doesn't end on ourselves, on our gifts, on our self-sufficiency. That our leadership would lead right back to the person of Jesus. The image of the living God. And so that in doing that, the image of God would be known and seen in the church and experienced then the person of God, known and seen and experienced in the church. This is the table we come back to every week. And by God's grace, we'll continue to always lead to this space. I'm gonna pray and then hand it over to Jason. Father God, Jesus came to be the way to the Father and he gives us his spirit to graciously guide us to the Son. We come back again right now. Of all the spaces in church leadership, 
where it's been our kingdom over yours, our character instead of yours, or leading people to ourselves instead of you. We repent. Most gracious God, we come back to you again. We love you. We need you. Have your way. Amen. This is Jesus' table. So all who believe that Jesus is the true king of the world are welcome to receive here this morning, regardless of your church background or affiliation. If you don't believe as we believe that Jesus is who he says he is, we're just grateful that you would still choose to spend a morning with us. We're honored that you're here. We encourage you to keep coming, keep asking questions about Jesus. However, maybe this morning as you were singing or as we were praying or as we were opening the scriptures, you're saying, actually, I am ready to believe. I'm ready to place my trust in Jesus and to follow his teachings. Then we invite you to join us here at this table as we confess our sin, as we receive forgiveness once again, and as we place our trust in him. We do so through a corporate prayer. Would you say this with me this morning? Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. Friends, it's my joy to announce to you this morning the good news. Words that are true, not because I say them, but because of what God has done. So would you open up your hands and receive once again the mercy of God. Jesus died for us while we were yet sinners. This proves God's love toward us. So in the name of Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. And the peace of the Lord be with you. Would you now stand as those who've been raised to new life with Christ and turn to one another and share the peace of Christ?